Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of World Championship Boxing. And this is a very special uh, show on Muhammad Ali. I think you've heard of him. And anyway, i got somebody on the line here. His name is Juan Silva, and I'm going to bring him on right now. And we are going to be joined by Mark Wren. What's up, man? Hey, good afternoon, big man. <laughs> How you doing, dude? Snowing in How New York doing? City. Uh, crazy, crazy times. But uh, did, you get, did you get caught out in the snow today? I was out there for three hours, man. It's nasty. <laughs> it is. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, we are expecting to hear from the one and only Mark Wren uh, soon, uh, but uh, we will uh, get right into stuff here because uh, there's a lot to talk about with this guy. He's had quite a life. The life and times of Muhammad Ali, um, hey, formerly known perfect. as Cassius Clay. You couldn't ask for a better title. That it fits the topic perfectly. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, we've been you know kind of talking about doing this show for a long time, and I think it's long overdue. I mean, uh, this guy basically is synonymous with boxing. I mean, when you think about it, like what bigger name in the sport has there ever been? There's not a bigger name in the history of sports, period. The three biggest names in the history of the world, you can argue, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jackson, and Elvis Presley. Yep, there we go. Oh, here we have um, Mark Red on the line. Let me get him on here. What's up, Mark Red? Oh, uh, hey, Logan. Hey, uh, Juan Silva. Good day to you. Hey, Mark. Pleasure to meet you, big man. Hey, brother. <laughs> so so this, this is going to be quite a topic. We're talking about the greatest. The <laughs> hey, Logan, quick question, right? Yeah. I mean, Mark, I'm sorry, Mark Wren. Would yeah. you agree with me that Ali is one of the three biggest names in the history of the world? If you don't, if you step aside Jesus, Ali, Elvis <laughs> Presley, and Michael Jackson? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, if we, I think if we're talking, uh, you know, twentieth century, uh, you know, pop culture. Um, yes. Yeah, I would say, yeah. I mean, from the yeah, I mean, from nineteen fifty to yeah to two thousand, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You, and you in de- the history of sports, the only guy that probably comes close to him is, in terms of worldwide popularity, is probably Pelé. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you take uh, if you take the fact that um, soccer is uh, or, or football, as we call it, is the uh, most popular sport in the world, then uh, and Pelé being the probably arguably the number one soccer player of all time, then then yeah, you would have to include that in uh, in that assessment, I would say. Okay, well, let's talk about. Um, I don't know if if you know anything about uh, his his childhood, one silver that maybe a significant to where. Something, any significant events happened to him? Yeah, uh, that... let, yeah. Let me give you a brief overview of his early childhood and how he be, how he became how he became interested in the sport of boxing. Muhammad Ali was born Cassius Marcellus Clay to Henry and Odessa Clay, January seventeenth, nineteen forty-two, in Louisville, Kentucky. At the age of twelve, his bike was stolen by a bully, and he ran to the to the nearest police station. And he asked the sergeant by the name of Joe Martin, hey, a, a kid just stole my bike. I want my bike back. And um, 
Sergeant Martin was, was, was like, give me a description of the kid. Ali was like, no, 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 no. Find him so I could beat him up. Sergeant Martin was like, what do you know about fighting? So Sergeant Martin took Muhammad Ali to the police athletic club, the PAL, the police athletic league in Louisville, Kentucky, and he became his first trainer at the age of 12. Muhammad Ali, went, as Cassius Clay, went on to win several golden gloves, and in 1960, at the age of 18, won the light heavyweight gold medal in the Rome Olympics. Wow. Now, he, uh, he, he, so he'd been fighting since he was, uh, I mean, like, before his teenage years then, huh? Started fighting at the age of 12, yes, as an amateur boxer. Wow. That's, uh, so that uh, gives you some insight into, like, you know, this guy's just, now, he was, was he always a natural, or, I mean, did he have trouble struggling as a fighter, or was he? According to Officer Martin. He was shocked at how fast. I mean, he would. He never fought before. I mean, he put him in the gym with some older kids, and the kids were hitting him. But he he couldn't believe how fast his and and how natural his ability was. He caught on quick. By the age of fourteen, he was already on television in Louisville, Kentucky. They had a show called Tomorrow's Young Champions, and he was on television there back in 1956. Wow, so he started out a big star. Now, Mark Wren, uh, you know, you being from uh, England, what was it that, I mean, when you, when you like, when did you kind of first hear about um, Muhammad Ali and start getting into him? Like, how old were you? Um, I believe I was about six years of age um, when I first um, saw um, Muhammad Ali and uh, we used to get um, like kind of a delayed sports coverage of uh, of major um, major US events uh, on British TV and I believe it was um, the Ali Spinks uh, 2 uh, fight where um, Ali became the first man to win the title three times and I believe I was about this would be 1977 I believe 78 and I would have been about six years old and I remember watching it on a on a Saturday afternoon on British TV and um, and uh, being you know quite captivated by um, by um, Muhammad Ali and then I remember seeing clips of him he's, he's appeared on the, on a famous chat show in, in Britain called um Called uh, the Parkinson Show. The, the uh, host is a legendary interviewer called Michael Parkinson. I'm sure there's clips on YouTube. And Ar- That's Ali kind of was... ironic, ironic name, is it not? I mean, yeah, exactly, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he always came, always came across so you know, so likable and charismatic, and and it always. You know, it'd, it'd always be open to you know to to all, all types of all types of people, and you know, just kind of gravitate to this guy, sort of larger than life guy. You know, he's an amazing athlete and amazing charisma, and uh, from you know from an early age, obviously it was only a couple of years later that you know that Ali finished his career, and then it was the era of you know Leonard and and Tyson and, and you know some of the British stars. But um, you know, I always. You know, from then onwards, always wanted to watch Ali's old fights and any kind of documentaries and 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 books about him. And that's kind of when my interest kind of kicked in. Actually, you know, towards the the end of Ali's career, but um, he was still, you know, the biggest uh, sports star on the planet at the time. Now, one Silva uh, was Muhammad Ali always this kind of loudmouth, uh, uh, you know, like out, you know. 
extroverted kind of guy, or was he kind of shy when he started out? In 1960, when he won the Olympic gold medal, everybody in the Olympic Village in Rome loved Cassius Clay. I'm going to refer to him as Clay before he before he he turns into Muhammad Ali. In 1960, when Cassius Clay won the gold medal, he was dating legendary track star who also won a gold medal at that Olympics, Wilma Rudolph. I'm sure, Mark Rain, you've heard of Wilma Rudolph. Um, everybody at the Olympic Village loved him. He wasn't a bo- bo- boastful cat at the time. He was more of a playful, lovable chap, as you, as, you would, as you would say. He didn't start the gimmick until he met Fred Blassie, I believe it was 61, 62, at a radio station. They always say Gorgeous George, but no, it was Fred Blassie. He met classy Fred Blassie, who was the biggest star in Los Angeles wrestling at the time, and he saw him on television and at a radio station. They did a a radio show together. And that's when Ali started doing the boastful, loudmouth gimmick. Huh. So it wasn't Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George died in 1963, and by the time Ali became a boxer, Gorgeous George was a shell of his former self. Yeah, but I mean, I think there's a famous quote by him saying that uh, I think because I, I remember one time Bill After quoting him saying that he learned everything about being flamboyant from Gorgeous George. But but at the same time, I you know Freddie Blassie was. You look at his um his promo style, it's more yeah. Blassie than Gorgeous. Gorgeous George was an effeminate. Ali was never feminine. Ali was masculine. Yeah, yeah. He had that boastful voice. And so did Muhammad Ali. It couldn't have been Gorgeous George. And Ali's ring interest had nothing. Gorgeous George would come in with the pink hair and the pink robe. Ali never did any of that crap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, t- he, took, he took elements of, of, of uh, both guys, I, w- I would say. But if you definitely listen to the, the way he did the promo thing, it's, it's definitely Fred Blassie. But the kind of yeah. over-the-top kind of, um, um, you know, um, Showmanship would definitely go to um, gorgeous George, but yeah, Blassie would would have been the um, yeah. I mean, Ali heard. I think I think Blassie was like cutting a promo on you know on on some radio show, and you know he just kind of well you know this is the way you talk people into the seats. You know, I, I need to do something like this. You know, to uh, to get people to to come to the fights. And the point is, yeah, and the point is. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I was just going to say, whoever he got it from, basically, he was a pro wrestling fan, um, and and he he took a lot of stuff that people were using in pro wrestling, brought it into boxing. I mean, uh, was he the first to kind of do stuff like that, or were there other like um, shit talking uh, boxers out there? Previous to Ali, the two most famous shit talk. Boxers of all time, they're not on Ali's level, but Jack Johnson talked a lot of shit when he was heavyweight champion of the world, and he was very controversial. Yeah. And Matt Bear talked a lot of talked a lot of he, he bad mouthed his opponents and he'd make a lot of jokes. But Ali took it to another level, and you would you could say that Ali was the innovator of trash talk. <laughs> he sure was. Um, now, when when he first bust on the scene he was uh known as a very good fighter um was he always a trash talker or is that something that came a little bit later in his career uh or in 62 when he met fred blassie 
that's when he added that to Ali. Cassius Clay was already charismatic. You can see when he came in the ring, he he was a good-looking guy. He had a great build. He was tall. He was fast. The fans loved him, and he was he had that natural charisma. Adding the trash talk and made him that more marketable, like Mark Renner was saying. Um, let me add a point that I forgot to talk about after he won the Olympic gold medal. When he won the Olympic gold medal in 1960, he came back to Louisville, Kentucky, and he expected a parade. He didn't get a parade. Um, the 12 richest men in Louisville, Kentucky, signed up, decided to sponsor his career, and they became his managers, and they teamed him up with Angelo Dundee. When Ali went to a restaurant in 1960, you know what it was about? I would say it would be about October, November of 1960. He went to meet with one of his managers, and he ordered a glass of milk, and they told Cassius Clay he wasn't allowed to sit in that restaurant. And he, and he's sitting with one of the richest men in Louisville, and the guy doesn't stand up for, 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 for Cassius. Cassius gets up, gets on his bike, drives to the bridge on his bike, and tosses Olympic gold medal into the Ohio River. Yeah. Well, bold move there. Um, and uh, did he ever um, feel bad about doing that? No, in any biography, he always he never regretted it. He never regretted it. But in 1996, if you recall, he lit the torch. That year, the Olympic Committee gave him a uh, replica gold medal. Yeah. Well, I wonder if anybody ever tried to look for that one, man. It's probably worth some money. He was going to swim in the river. <laughs> like when Stone Cold threw the rocks belt off the bridge. Hey, man, you know somebody's... Somebody's listening to this thinking, like, it's still down there, man. You know, I can make some money. <laughs> See what you say, right? <laughs> now, uh, when, when, um, uh, so, so, Muhammad Ali, his style, let's talk about his fighting style. Did he, uh, started out, of course, um, just so quick, um, and he almost barely got hit, I think, in his, early part of his career. Isn't that true? It, he he was knocked down once before he fought Doug Jones. He was knocked down early in his career by a guy named Sonny Banks in the first round by a left hook. Ali always seemed to have trouble with guys that landed left hooks, even as a as a youngster. But yeah. um, he got up and he knocked Sonny Banks out quickly a couple of rounds later. In his fight with Doug Jones, March 13, 1963, which was the 1963 fight of the year. He got yeah. more in that fight than any other fight because he stood toe-to-toe. Um, I don't know if you guys watched that fight. I, 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 I uh, put it as a, as, a, as one of the fights we, sh- we should watch for the show. Yeah, that we, was a tremendous. Ali yeah. didn't move in the fight. Ali stood right in front of Doug Jones, and for 10 rounds, they hit each other with a lot of shots. And one minute into the fight, Doug Jones hurt Ali with a right cross. Yeah. So is now um so the thing about uh, Muhammad Ali was uh a lot of people thought that, you know, all someone needed to do was hit the guy. They didn't think he had a chin, you know, and 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 many I guess it was because he never really got hit like except maybe in that fight, but like he was very good at keeping himself from getting hit flush. Uh um, the only other guy, the only guy other than Doug Jones that I saw really hurt Ali in the 1960s is was Henry Cooper. 
Um, Mark Wren, did you ever get to see that fight? I believe yeah. that was the opening of the world of sports for many years. Henry Cooper knocking down Cassius Clay with a spectacular left hook. Yeah, that's right. That's one of the that's one of the famous you know um, sporting events in in British history, and they still play. Um, Henry Cooper, uh, you know, literally you know passed away in in the last year or so, and um, uh, they're always playing um, the clips of um, of uh, Henry Cooper's uh, giving. Uh, Clay, the um, famous Henry's hammer left hook, um, that literally, you know, knocked, uh, you know, knocked Clay into, you know, knocked him into the middle of the next week, and uh, then you had um, Angelo Dundee kind of fiddling about with his uh, glove at the end of the round, and uh, you know, it, it hit him with such a tremendous left hook, you know, Clay that just literally doesn't know where he where he is. He's so dazed. You're right about that. That left hook happened right at the end of the fourth round. Ali went yeah. down like he was shot. He got up at the count of nine. One thing about Ali is that he had tremendous resilience. But I think had that left hook landed two minutes earlier, that would have been a huge up. I think Cooper would have won that fight. I agree with you, Mark. Oh, yeah, it would have been over. It would have been over, yeah. Dun okay, Dundee so... did him a big favor by buying him some time. He bought him some time, cleared his head, came out and... Uh, Cut up, cut up uh, Henry Cooper's uh, face and uh, and got a stoppage uh, a few rounds later. Now, when uh, Angelo, hold on, Logan. let me take one point about Angelo Dundee. Alan, Angelo Dundee is one of the three greatest trainers of all time. If it wasn't for Dundee, Sugar Ray Leonard and Muhammad Ali would have lost two of the, some of their biggest fights. Dundee always found a way to to add some type. Like in this fight, Mark Ray made a great point. The bell rang. Ali's head was, he was out of it. Dundee ripped a hole in Ali's glove, and they had to change the glove. And that gave Ali, what would you say, Mark Ren, four or five more extra minutes? Yeah, I think, it it was, I think it was three, yeah, about three, three or four, yeah. Because they had to go wow. find the glove and put the glove on Ali. And when the, when the fight resumed, Ali chopped the shit out of Cooper, and they had to stop the fight. Cooper's entire face was completely masked in blood. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh now when when he fought what can you just talk a little bit cuz you did you did put up there as as the first fight um after he wins the gold medal against Doug Jones being the yeah. 1963 fight of the year. Can you just tell everyone exactly, you know, how that fight went and uh you know, w w why was the fight of the year? You know one thing about this fight, this is at, at the reason this fight was huge Sonny Liston had just won the heavyweight title from Floyd Patterson, and everybody knew that in the rematch, the same thing was going to happen. Sonny Liston was going to destroy Floyd Patterson. The heavyweight division was looking for a new star to face Sonny Liston because at the time, everybody thought Sonny Liston was, like George Foreman and Mike Tyson later on, unbeatable. My, um, Cassius Clay had knocked out nine consecutive fighters, and he had, how do you say it, predicted the round in each of those nine fights. So he was the wow. talk of the uh, of, of the boxing world. He sold out Madison Square Garden. He was the first non-heavyweight champion to sell out Madison Square Garden since the great Joe Lewis. 19,000. Uh, what what fight was that? Uh, Doug Jones against Doug Jones, the fight we're about to talk okay. about. He sold out Madison Square Garden. Basically, people went there to see this young up-and-coming heavyweight. Doug Jones was a gritty heavyweight contender. He was the number two heavyweight contender at the time. Um, Cassius Clay was number three contender at the time. The winner was the winner was guaranteed a, a shot at Sonny Liston 
after Sonny Liston would fight Floyd Patterson in a rematch. This was a tremendous fight. One minute into the first round, Doug Jones hurt Ali with a right cross. If Ali wasn't backing up like he always did, trying to back and slip, he would have went down. The, 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 the punch caught uh, uh, Clay as he was walking backwards, as he was moving backwards. A lot of people thought, thought Doug Jones won this fight. I disagree. Ali outlanded Doug Jones 5-1. to one. In this fight, Ali hit Doug Jones with everything but the kitchen sink. Doug Jones had a great chin. By the fifth, sixth round, Ali was, exa- was exhausted because he had thrown so many punches, and Doug Jones started coming on. If you watch the ninth and tenth round, Ali, knowing the fight was in the balance, like he always did in his career, closed the show. Round nine and round ten, he hurt Doug Jones constantly and went on to win a unanimous decision. And the right to fight Sonny Liston. Now, was he, was he uh, at the time talking shit and, and asking for that title shot the way, the way he always, you know, used to do? Or was, this, was he more calm at that time? I'll tell you something. The, the build-up to the, to the Cassius Clay-Sonny Liston fight was the greatest build-up in the history of boxing. Ali went to Sonny Liston's home in Denver, Colorado, and challenged him to a fight. Sonny Liston came out with a gun and started shooting in the air, and, and Ali and minions ran off. But, I mean, Ali was, was following Liston everywhere. When Liston knocked out Patterson, Ali came in the ring and said, come on, stop fucking me. It's time for you to fight. Sonny Liston didn't duck anybody. Matter of fact, Sonny Liston took Cassius Clay too lightly, if you ask me. He thought like everybody else thought, that he was going to destroy Clay in two or three rounds. So he, he believed his own hype. Is that what you're saying? That's what he – I'm talking about Sonny Liston. Yes, yes. He believed his own hype. Let me give you some backdrop on Sonny Liston before these two fought. Sonny Liston was a career criminal. He was a strong man for the for, – for the, he was what you call muscle for the mob. And mm-hmm. he had spent two, three years in prison for assault on numerous charges. He, his managers were, were, were members of the Italian Mafia, so he was well-connected. Hmm. And, and now, uh, Sonny Liston, now, can you just talk a little bit about his career um, and how he became, and how long how he, had he been champion up until then? All right. He won the title in 1962 when he knocked out Floyd Patterson in the first round. He retained the title again against Floyd Patterson in 63 by knocking him out in the first round. Sonny but Liston he wasn't undefeated, the... right? No, no. Sonny Liston had lost two earlier fights, one to a guy named Marty Marshall and one early in his career, and both guys had similar styles to Clay. They were movers. Sonny Liston always had problems with guys that moved. Floyd Patterson didn't move. Floyd Patterson came at you, so he was tailor-made for Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston had one of the great left jabs, in boxing history, and his jab would set up his power shots. He would hook off the jab, or he would throw a right cross off the jab. But it wouldn't work against Clay. Hmm. And 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 Clay was fighting basically the same kind of style he fight he he always fought in. If you if you watch this fight, February twenty fifth, nineteen sixty four, the nineteen sixty four fight of the year, Ali dominated this fight from round one on except for the fifth round, when some shenanigans happened in Liston's corner. Round one, Ali comes out, moving, dancing, jabbing. Liston can't touch him with his jab, because Liston always set up everything with his left jab, with his 
But Ali's left jab was twice as fast, as twice as quick, and twice as long. Before the fight started, Angelo Dundee told Cassius Clay, what I want you to do is look at Sister Lister's eye and stand tall. You're taller than the guy. Sonny Lister was six foot one. Cassius Clay was six foot three. Lister had never fought anybody taller than him. And it was it was weird looking on television. My father at the time told me about this because he was Ali was his favorite athlete of all time. He's watching the, the the fight and he's like, Wow. What the media had this pictured as was like Sonny Liston was this big humongous bully and uh Crash Clay was supposed to be this skinny little kid. Uh uh-uh. uh. It was the other way around. Sonny Liston looked like the little guy and Clay was the tall guy because Clay was six foot three. I see. So so he he gave instructions for uh, Ali to sort of stand up tall then, uh, to fight tall, kind of like look, the Klitschko would do. straight in the eye. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah but, if I can just, if I can just uh, jump in, I mean, uh, Clay, you know, like like uh, one silver said, Clay was a, a lot taller. I mean, Liston, Liston probably had him by maybe 10, 15 pounds. Um, yeah. But yeah. uh, obviously, and he was—I think he was about around about ten years older than than Clay at the time. Clay was early twenties, Liston early thirties. Um, I mean, it can't yeah. be understated what a massive what a massive underdog Clay was going into this fight. I mean, they, there's some famous statistic that they polled all the boxing writers at ringside. There might have been 20, 20, 20 or thirty boxing writers at, at ringside, and only one picked Clay. Uh, to win the actual fight, so it was, a, it was a massive shock. You know, we're talking on the levels of, you know, in later years, you know, Buster, Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. It was of that that level of a of a of a shock to the you know to the boxing world and to the sporting world, and you know, hence Clay's you know post fight you know promo in the ring of you know I shook up the world. Yes, yes. Mark Wren hit the point right on the nail. He was an eight yeah, well, to one. Cassius Clay was an eight to one underdog going into this fight. I guess the modern equivalent would be the Chael Sonnen fight if he had won. <laughs> right? I mean, like, uh, remember when That's he came on analogy. strong? Yeah, yeah, it was like... Uh, yeah, Real must be Anderson Silva, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. So, so this fight was not a long fight, though. No, it went it went six rounds. The, um, back to talking about the fight. First round, Clay's moving, jab, and he's hitting, listing with jabs and right crosses. Left and right, Liston can't stop it, and his jab is not landing. If Liston doesn't land his jab, nothing else comes off of it. And then when he crowds Clay into the corner, Clay quickly ties him up, quick, because he knows he doesn't want to give Liston any shots to the body. Round two, the same thing happened. Round three, he hurts Liston with a spectacular right cross early in the round, and then he hurts him again with another right hand. And Liston's left eye, he gives him. They cut because him. He- um, Clay's punches. Round four, more the same. At the end of round four, Liston sticks his glove in Ali's eye, and he, some solution that his corner had put on, on Liston's glove got onto Ali's eye. At the yeah, end of I was the just going to say that. Yeah, just going to say that. It was, uh, yeah, um, this theorized that you know that a substance, you know, that was, uh, um, I think they could, may, might have called it Monsal solution, might have been um, 
applied to um, Liston's cuts on his face and and uh, Liston kind of maybe not quite knowing what he was doing went to kind of you know touch his own face and inadvertently had this um, um, solution uh, on his gloves and and the uh, the solution got into Clay's eyes and Clay you know, almost wanted to stop the fight because he just could not see. He just man he managed to kind of clear his eyes in in over yeah. the next one at one or two rounds but he's you know he was literally kind of fighting blind for a couple of rounds against you know a ferocious you know yeah. champion that that the world was scared of in 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 Sonny Liston so basically you think Sonny Liston was trying to cheat hold on well, one second it wasn't the possibly. first time it wasn't the first time one of Liston's opponents had accused Liston of cheating earlier in Liston's career he was having I forgot I forgot to fight his name but early in Lister's career, he was losing a fight, and the, the same thing happened to the fighter. The, the solution got into his eyes, and Lister knocked him out because the guy couldn't see. Yeah. Wow. When the round when round four ended, Mark Ren makes a great point. Clay tells Angelo Nadi, "Cut off my gloves. The fix is in. They don't want me to be champion. Cut my gloves off." At that point, Cassius Clay had already began his relationship with Malcolm X. About of Islam member. There were several Muslim, black Muslims around ringside who was looking at Dundee thinking that the white devil was trying to cause their, 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 their black hero to lose. And Angelo D takes the solution and throws it in his eyes say, look, look, I'm not in it. Dundee, this is one of the times when Dundee helps save Ali. He takes water and he throws it in Ali's eyes and he, and he sponges him down and says, look, look, Cassius. Just run like hell until your eyes clear. For the entire fifth round, Clay ran and ran and lifted through everything but the kitchen sink at him. But Ali ran, ran, ran. Yeah, the next round, cleared, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the next round, round six, Ali's clear, uh, eyes cleared up, and he started hammering Liston again with combinations, left jabs, right crosses, left hooks. In the sixth round, Liston claims he separated his shoulder. That's bullshit. He knew he couldn't beat Clay. He quit. No mas. Cassius Clay, heavyweight champion of the world. He shook up the world. He he shocked the world. Now when this I, guy, I'm the greatest. <laughs> when this guy uh, fought uh, and he did that fancy footwork, like I mean, who else had had done that before him? Is that something that he came Robinson. up with? Sugar Ray Robinson. Sugar Ray Robinson was uh, Muhammad Ali's idol, but Sugar okay. Ray Robinson didn't. Didn't back up his head like dodge punches like that. He would slip punches. But Sugar Ray was the first dancing master. And Ali took his style, and he added a couple of quirks. Like, nobody ever pulled his back like Ali, like Ali did. Ali was the first to do that, to pull his head back from punches. Sugar Ray Robinson do that. Sugar Ray Robinson would block punches or just slip them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, what about, what about though, like, keeping your hands down and shit? Like, I hadn't seen people do that before Ali either. Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. Yeah, because it's like almost a way to to invite people to try to come at you. Um, and uh, the most important in Sugar Ray Robinson's career was one of Markman's countrymen, Randy Turpin. Yeah. Randall Turpin. I still, yeah. I still don't see fighters though fighting like Ali. Like it's like no one really. You'd think that somebody would try to emulate his style, but I, I really... Well, Ray I really Leonard did. That. Ray Leonard did to an extent. Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard was the best emulator of Ali. He was the closest thing to Ali. I think Mark Wren would agree with that as far as fighting style goes. Oh, definitely. Now, yeah. what, 
What about the method of talking shit as you're fighting to your to the fighter? I guess that's always gone on, but he looked no, like No, Jack he, was the innovator of that. Jack Johnson used to do that to all his opponents, especially his white opponents. Oh, word. When when Jack uh-huh. Johnson fought Just Willard, rumor has it that he was whispering in Willard's ear, after I knock you out, I'm going to fuck your wife. Whoa. <laughs> we, need, we need to do a show on Jack Johnson, because I think he's one of the most overlooked yeah. historical yeah. figures, not just in boxing, but in, in the world of sport in the 20th century. I mean, this guy was so controversial I mean I think they've been trying Hollywood have been trying for years I think to you know get like a, a biopic uh, uh, movie made of, of his uh, of his life and career and, and uh, if they get the right uh, cast if they get the casting right for, for that movie I think that could be a big deal because um, he's, well, uh, he's was, a very interesting a, guy Mark Rinn, there was a movie made on his life yeah but I mean we you know we talk. We want one. You know, I'm talking about a movie that will be on the scale of, you know, Will Smith's Ali. You know, that's going to be, you know, in movie theaters all around the world. Not kind of one that would just be on the on the TV or, you know, kind of going straight to DVD. It was uh, the Great White Hope. Jack uh, James Earl Jones played him. Yeah, but it's not really remembered well, is it? You know, we want a big star. You know, you get a big big guy playing him. I mean, Jack Johnson was a huge guy, wasn't he? I mean, we're talking in the era of. Of, of fights where that you know it went on for like you know twenty or thirty rounds and things and yeah, yeah, yeah. so controversial. Actually, I, wa- I want to talk about. I just want to track back to um uh, to Sonny Liston. I want I want to ask one Silver whether he's read a couple of books that I've read about um, Liston. One of them is called um, uh, Ghost of Manila, and the other one is called Night Train. I read and, Night uh, Train. I yeah, can't the, find Manila. I read Night Train. Yeah, they're both. Uh, amazing yeah. books. I mean, they they cover you know Liston's. You know, Liston was bad. You know, from from when he was a kid, from when he was a kid upwards. I mean, this was a real bad hombre. I mean, this is a a guy that you would not want to meet down a a dark alley. I mean, this guy was was mobbed up. You know, he he wouldn't he wouldn't um, bat an eyelid to um to to smacking anyone. Um, um I mean, we'll we'll get we'll, I mean we'll get onto we'll. We'll get onto the we'll get onto the Liston Ali rematch um, soon enough, but I mean, in the Ghost of Manila, you know, Liston, you know, actually sort of admits to the to the author that he, you know, that he intentionally lost, um, yeah, intentionally lost that rematch, not just because I it was, that. yeah, not, that I yeah not just, that. I do not just, that. yeah, not just because it was uh, anything to do with the mob, but I think I think he actually admitted that he he lost the fight because he. He, he had he had fear of all the um, kind of the black Muslims and 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 that sort of um and that sort of group um, you know getting getting um, retaliation on him well, as well, opposed to I a mean, gambling coup was was when he fought um, uh, Ali was he Muhammad Ali then did he oh. had he changed his name okay for the after, rematch after, yeah yeah the rematch Liston, yeah. A couple of days later, he he held, um, Cassius Clay holds a press conference, and he announces to the world that his name is now Muhammad Ali. Actually, he said it was he said my name is Muhammad X. That was the first name that he used, Muhammad X. Cassius yeah. X was his first name, but yeah. usually back then Muslims would have to wait. Black Muslims would have to wait before they get a name. Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the Nation of Islam, was was just he just loved Ali. 
that said, no, I'm going to name him right away. He was named Muhammad Ali right away. Malcolm X was still Malcolm X. <laughs> yeah. And Ali named before Malcolm X. Yeah, Cassius X, that's right. Yeah, Cassius X, yeah. yeah. And then he became Muhammad Ali. And then when the rematch occurred a year later, March of 1965, the fight was moved to Lewiston, Maine, because nobody wanted to have the fight. Why? Malcolm X had just been assassinated, and there was rumors that his people were going to kill Ali. And this, in turn, put fear into Liston's head. Liston was definitely scared of the black Muslims. He was afraid that that night, had he tried to beat Ali, he would have gotten killed in the ring. But what do you yeah. think would have happened if, I mean, do you think that Ali would have won that fight if he hadn't been afraid? If Ali listed times, Ali beats Liston 100 times. Liston was tailor-made for Ali. He was too old and slow for Ali. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, even if... I mean, there's a lot of people that talk about that fight, and that there's that famous picture that I use for the cover of this show. Uh, that, that, that To my father as, as, a, as a portrait many, many years ago. Love that picture. And that's from the second fight? Yes, that's when he goes down and he doesn't get up. No, he gets up. It's a strange ending to that fight. He goes down, and he stays down for like 15, 16 seconds. Ali is telling Liston, get up, get up. Finally, Liston gets up. Thursday, Joe Walcott, former heavyweight champion of the world, was the referee. Let the fight goes on. The, ring, the, the, the timekeeper screams to Walcott, come over here. Ali's hitting Liston in the corner. Liston's covering up like he's hurt, pretending to be hurt. And the timekeeper tells Jersey Joe Walcott, the fight went past 10 seconds. Stop it. And the fight was stopped. First round knockout. Mm-hmm. I see. That's an interesting uh, deal. So he ruled. Yeah, he that, that, the re, the re, yeah, the rematch. In, yeah, the, the rematch that they held. It. I mean, it was in such a small place. I mean, uh, one silver just said it was in Lewiston, Maine. I mean, I, I think Maine, to this yeah. day, it's the smallest place to ever hold a heavyweight boxing, you know, a, a title oh, match. No states wanted to say in that fight because they were afraid a right was going to happen. Malcolm X had just been assassinated, and a lot of people thought that Elijah Muhammad had something to do with it. And at the time, Ali was Elijah Muhammad's number one soldier. Yeah, I mean, I think this place was like an, about an hour about an hour away from Portland, Maine, and, and you know the and the population of the town was only like forty to fifty thousand people. I mean, that, I yeah, think that's... I think there was more um, media than actual fans at the fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the actual the actual attendance in in, in the uh in the in the actual arena was literally something like, you know, 2500. Yeah. It was a small arena. It was yeah. that's the only heavyweight yeah, sure. title fight ever held in Lewiston, Maine. Yeah, yeah. And wow, Jersey Joe crazy. Jersey Joe Walcott, the former world heavyweight champion, was actually the referee and kind he of messed up and kind of messed up the match a little bit. He messed up the count. He, he, yeah, he messed he, up the count. What happened was, he didn't know what was going on. He thought Liston had slipped. Liston is like acting like he's drowning. And so Walcott doesn't start counting until um, Liston's on the floor for seven, eight seconds. Yeah, it's a, it's a real um, uh, real mess, the end of the fight. But the actual, and the actual end of the, yeah, the actual end of the fight with, with you know, Ali kind of standing over you know, Liston, who's, who's who's beneath him, and Ali's kind of gesturing him and kind of telling him to to get up, you know, get up, sucker. That's probably the most, maybe the most iconic boxing photo that's ever been ever been shot. 
yes, that, yes. that's on t-shirts and posters and and things the world over that Ali saying get up get up and fight sucker with his right hand gesturing it at Liston that's uh, yeah. cowering yeah. on the floor Wow, that's crazy. Now, now because there's a lot of, you know, of course, conspiracy growing up around that fight, um, that it was not, you know, on the level or whatever. Now, why wouldn't they have another fight after that? Uh, well, there's no need. After Liston does that, that, that dive, he doesn't deserve another title shot. Plus, he can't beat Ali. So that's it. After this fight, Liston's career spirals downhill. A couple of years later, he gets knocked out by a journeyman named Leotis Martin. And it's one of Howard Cosell's greatest calls. When Liston goes down, Liston goes down, he's out. He's out before he's the canvas. Howard Cosell screams, and the career of Sonny Liston is over. <laughs> Sonny Liston, last fight, 1970, he knocks out Chuck Webner. A couple of days later, he's found dead in his apartment from an apparent um, suicide. I don't believe it was a suicide, a heroin overdose with 100% pure heroin. I believe the mob killed him. Yeah. For sure. Based on what? Hey, um, you have to, like Marquez said, read those books. He was heavily involved in the mob. Okay, but I mean, you, like, if you don't die. do what you're told, then you get you get you get whacked. So what did he do? That did he not throw a fight? I mean, what what was it that? There, there was rumors that he was supposed to throw the weapon to fight, and he did it. He died soon after that fight. Oh, yeah, I see. That okay. might have been the reason. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy, man. So, the, I mean, that's kind of like some an untold story in boxing, just how much the mob was involved with it um, back around that time. Oh, uh, the, from the from way, but, way before the then, yeah. 20s to the 1960s. Um, Ali was one of the first to buck the system. He he wanted nothing to do with those clowns. He was like, fuck out of here, I'm my own man. Well, he had his own crew. I mean, that's what you're saying, basically, with this... Uh, the, the Muslim they, Brotherhood, the Black Brotherhood, they were white America's biggest fear in the 1960s. I see. So he could have some leverage based on being involved with them because if you were just a guy trying to strike out and and against that, uh, you probably wouldn't get too far. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't. You're right. The only um, the only fighter up until that point that didn't have mob influence in his career was Sugar Ray Robinson, and Sugar Ray Robinson was like 71-1 and one before he got a title shot. Wow. Reason being, he wasn't, he wasn't controlled by the mob, and the mob didn't want to give him a title shot. Sugar Ray Robinson's career began, began in 1940. He didn't get a title shot until 1947. I see. Now, um, this uh, title, what, what was his next defense after Sonny Liston? Um, the next the list. Flores first defense, Patterson. yeah. November of 1965, um, this fight had a lot of controversy going to it. Ali had changed his name, of course, to Muhammad Ali. And during the build-up to the fight, the media made Floyd Patterson the good guy and Muhammad Ali the bad guy because Ali was this evil black Muslim and Floyd Patterson was the good next-door neighbor Catholic kid. Truth be told, Floyd Patterson was also, like Sonny Liston, a juvenile delinquent. He turned his life around and he became one of the classiest men in boxing history. But Floyd made a, a, a huge mistake in the build-up to this fight. He kept calling Ali Cassius Clay. He was like, oh, Cassius Clay is a great fighter, but I think I could beat him. Oh, with Clay. And Ali was like, why don't you call me by my name? Why don't you call me by my name? 
And Floyd was like, well, your mother named you Cassius Clay. That's what I'm going to name you. That's what I'm going to call you. Your name's Cassius Clay. Wow. That's, and, and would you say that uh, Muhammad Ali's name change was kind of like a heel turn for him? Yes, because the media would not recognize him by his name. The posters for all his fights up until his exile was Cassius Clay, also a.k.a. Muhammad Ali, versus whoever his opponent was. The only guy to embrace his name was the legendary Howard Cosell. Right, right. That's interesting because it was just like, uh, was he, I mean, how was he, so by the public, did they boo him at that time? Yes. Ali, the only people that supported Ali back in the 60s were uh, Berkeley-type radicals, right, Mm -hmm. and black people. Middle class and, and Republican whites, Hated Muhammad Ali with a passion, and they dominated. They dominated. Um, they they dominated the American culture at the time. Mm-hmm. So so because you know because you know everyone thinks of him as this. Um, you know everyone loves him now, uh, of course. But back in the day, I mean that kind of the way he was. He and and then the fact that he could back it up, and uh, and was winning fights, and he and no one could stop him. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't try to assassinate him. There was always, he was always getting he was always getting death threats. Back then, Ali went everywhere. He always had several um, Fruit of Islam, which is the security force of the Nation of Islam, Fruit mm-hmm. of Islam guys walking around with him because his life was was always threatened. A lot of people thought he was going to get killed in retaliation for Malcolm X Malcolm X's assassination because Malcolm X's people hated Ali. Okay, why don't you talk about that rift that occurred between the, that group and him because. Uh, what, what was the nature of their dispute? Malcolm X was Muhammad Ali's first teacher, as as far as Islam came. When when Ali, when Ali um, first embraced Islam, Malcolm X was a spiritual teacher. When Ali converted to Islam, this was during the period that Malcolm X and Mark Ray would know about this. Malcolm X had been banished from the Nation of Islam for. What's that, Mark Ren? The chickens come home to roost after Kennedy was assassinated? Uh, yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah, I'll go along with that. But what, why? What, hap- what happened was, after after JFK was assassinated in November of 63, Malcolm X made a made a statement that America, the chickens had come home to roost. Um, Elijah Muhammad did not like that. He told Malcolm X, the, the American public loved this man. You're, you're shitting on his grave. He suspended him from the nation and silenced him. During this time, he had become real close with Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, and he became a spiritual teacher. After Ali converted to the Nation of Islam, Elijah Muhammad now had Ali as his main speaker. Malcolm X was forced to form his own um, set, and there was a war between his set and the Nation of Islam set. Uh, Malcolm X said would include white people, other Muslims. What happened was when Malcolm X went to Mecca, the pilgrimage, the pilgrimage for, for most Muslims, he saw white Muslims. He saw blonde-haired, blue-eyed Muslims. This was not what he was taught. He was taught that all Muslims were black. So he began to embrace traditional Islam, not the nation of Islam, um, Islam. So he started to be a little softer than the nation yes. of Islam. Yes, okay. yes, yes. And and so and and so Ali uh, sided with um, Malcolm X. No, Ali sided with Elijah Muhammad. Malcolm okay, X okay. won. 
with him. And Malcolm X wanted Ali to come with him. And Ali was like, no, no, Elijah Muhammad is my father. He's my he's my spiritual leader. I'm staying with um, Malcolm X. Yeah, Malcolm this, X was, re- was really marginalized by this this whole incident, yes. and uh, you know Ma- Malcolm X. It's, it's you know it's been proven that Malcolm X was 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 killed in in a in a conspiracy. That's um, if you can look that up around the uh, around the internet and do research on that. Malcolm X was, um, you know, is one yes. of the famous kind of four or five figures that were assassinated in the sixties, along with you know Martin Luther King and 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 uh, Robert and, uh, and John John Kennedy. And Marilyn Monroe, you could add her to that list too. Yeah, now, possibly. Who- yeah. Was it the Nation of Islam oh. though that killed um, Malcolm X? The what what I believe Ye- and I yeah, swear I believe so. that it was a combination of the FBI and the Nation of Islam that killed Malcolm X. Yeah. Okay, well let's talk about this fight that he had with Floyd Patterson. Um talk a little bit about you know how this fight unfolded and and what happened in the fight. Okay, earlier that year Floyd Patterson defeated George Chavalo in the 1965 fight of the year. It was an elimination fight. The winner of the fight, Muhammad Ali. Great, great fight. 12-round war. So Patterson gets another shot at the title. And now the, the entire of white-based media in the United States is behind Floyd Patterson. They're, pick, they're pitting him as his – and he was. Floyd Patterson was a gentleman. Floyd Patterson was one of the great men in boxing history as far as the way he carried himself. He was a gentleman. He, but I think he was influenced by the media because he, he took this Cassius Clay thing too far. He never, to the day he died, he never called Ali Cassius Clay. I mean, he never called Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali. Yeah, and uh, is it, I mean, I guess at this point, like, you know, the the public is, is mostly white. So, but, you know, they would probably rather have a white champion, but, you know they got two black guys in there, so they choose the black guy with the fifties haircut. They like him better. Evils, um, the lesser of two evils, in their opinion. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, and, and you had this trash talking Muhammad Ali. I mean, I guess it, was it unheard of that somebody that you know such a, a big public figure, you know, would be so outlandishly anti-white. Well, remember, he's a member of the Nation of Islam now, so he's called, He's talking about white devils. He's saying all these things. I mean, he's taken his political viewpoint to another level as being the heavyweight champion of the world. In the 1960s, the heavyweight champion of the world was the biggest sporting star in the world. It's not like today with these clowns fighting. In the yeah. 1960s and 1970s, the biggest prize in professional sports was the heavyweight champion of the world. Oh, for sure, yeah. Now, did did Floyd um, ever hurt Ali in this fight? It was a one-sided beating. It was Ah. a one-sided beating. Ali beat Floyd Patterson from pillar to post. To some extent, he, he to some extent he actually you know I, I think he he carried him for the fight and, and you know endured endured a beating on him. He carried him I, on purpose. He carried yeah. him because uh, every time he hit him, he was like, "What's my name? What's my What's name?" What's my name? Kept calling him Clay. Oh, I see. Was, so that was part of the. Oh yeah, that was, was in the. Uh, he at his that was savage in the movie. Worst. He was a savage in this fight. He, 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 he brutalized this man. This was pretty much peak Ali, you know, around this time. 
Oh, now, Mark Wait, I wanted to say I wanted to say that between 1964 and 1967, there was a there was never, never, another great fighter on that type of level in the heavyweight history. Ali was the perfect heavyweight from 1964 to 1967. None of these guys from Sonny Liston on to when he fought Zora Foley in 67 laid a glove on him. I mean, if they hit him, it was not it it it, it, it didn't hurt him. He was just on another level, speed wise. I think we're both. I think one silver. I think we. I think we're both going to agree. You know what? What the what the classic example of 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 the prime of the prime Ali was during this period was was the bout he had with uh, Cleveland Williams. Oh yes, that, which is on our list. Yes, that yeah. that was that was the that was the the epitome of Muhammad Ali. Yeah, that was prime time Ali. Now, what? Why do you say that? If you watch the fight, it was a three round massacre. Ali, his hand speed, Cleveland. There was one sequence in, in the second round. There was one sequence in the fight where Cleveland Williams threw like eight straight shots, and Ali just stood there and he he pulled back from all eight shots, all eight yeah. shots missed. Didn't move his feet, just just head movement, just phenomenal. <laughs> You've got to, Logan. You, you, Logan, you must check this fight. This is you've never seen anything like it. Ali is just he's just on another planet. He's just phenomenal in this fight. There and this was no guy, this, this is a big guy that he's fighting against as well. Yeah, he's, he's Cleveland Williams like foot four, and he can't touch Ali. <laughs> and Ali's not dancing; he's standing right in front of him. <laughs> Crazy, Ali just. Uh, I mean, I guess it was just for a heavyweight. It's almost like he fought like you know a welterweight. You know, what I mean, it was just uh, unheard of to see such movement, right? Yes, great analogy. He was the fastest heavyweight in the history of boxing. To this day, there hasn't been a fighter with foot foot movement, razor-like accuracy with his with, with his with his punch. Ali wasn't a great puncher, but his accuracy made him a a good puncher because his punches were so fast and accurate that he could hurt you. Yeah, I mean his footwork is just I, you never see that. I mean I, I'm trying to think of who even. Uh, Approached it in the heavyweight division since him, and Maybe I'm, I'm Larry drawn. Holmes was the Larry Holmes was like a foot slower than a prime Ali. Larry Holmes probably the closest as far as fighting style in the history of the heavyweight division, and uh, a young Gene Tunney. But Gene Tunney was a small guy. Ali was. Yeah, Larry Holmes comparison is definitely correct. I mean, Larry Holmes was a was a was a sparring partner to Ali. Ali was his idol. I mean, Larry Holmes probably doesn't get he, enough credit. You know, for for his career, Larry Holmes was a was a fantastic boxer. Larry Holmes is one of the most underrated fighters in the history of boxing. Oh, definitely, yeah. Love love Larry Holmes. I mean, I guess you could say that Larry Holmes, like, was his the history didn't favor him in terms of where he ended up, but in general, like, he probably was in the wrong era. He probably should have been born maybe like 10 years earlier or something. You follow a great, in any sport, when you follow a great athlete, a guy that, like the Chicago Bulls after Michael Jordan retired, when when you follow a great, or when the, the Cleveland Browns after Jim Brown retired, when you follow an icon, you're in his shadow your entire, your entire reign, your entire time playing. Right. So so Ali then um, uh, holds on to this title Hold for on. a Second while, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Logan, Mark Wren, after Pelé retired, who was the next big Brazilian star? 
after Pelé retired. Oh, uh, probably took a few years, but there's been a few good uh, Brazilian soccer players. You probably the, the most famous ones are probably Ronaldo and Zico, probably the famous ones. But they'll be always be in the shadow of uh, of Pelé. That's what I was thinking about. That, that to me is a perfect example. The guy, there was great players that played on Brazil's team after Pelé, but nobody received that level of recognition till Ronaldo. Yeah. And nobody so, received elite type of recognition until Tyson. One silver. We were talking about the the uh, the, the Patterson fight with with the uh, with uh, you know Ali saying uh, you know what's my name, but there was even worse uh, the, the the fight that he had after Cleveland Williams where he fought. Um, uh, only Tyrell. That was that was the yeah. worst one. That he, Ali was, you know, really lit up during that fight. I mean, he he battered Tyrell for like, you know, for like fifteen rounds, and all the time it was like, "What's my name?" And he was calling him an Uncle Tom, and, and he, it, he, it, it he, was really he brutal. He called him the N word too in that fight. He he was, and you know, the week after that fight, they showed they showed uh, Ali in the ABC studios with Hala Cosell, and they were watching the fight, and they were talking about. Cosell, he lashed out at Ali, and Ali was a close friend of Cosell. Cosell was like, Ali, this is unprofessional. This, 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 this is not you. And, and Ali was like, I don't care. I don't care. I felt that way. This is the way. This is the reason I fought. He destroyed Ernie Terrell's right eye. Ernie Terrell never fought again after that fight. Yeah. I think it's important to note that if we're talking about kind of boxing at this at this time, the, I mean these these boxers were you know were fighting you know kind of. If not every month, every two months, and, and now you have boxers that may have, maybe have one fight a year. I mean, these guys are taking fights every couple of months. I mean, Ali beat Terrell Tur- in like early February, and then like in late March, he's he's like fighting Zora Foley. It's it's because, a- absolutely unreal. Right. In 1966, Ali fought. I believe he defended the heavyweight title five times. They don't <laughs> heavyweights don't fight five times this year. And in 1966, Ali became the first world champion since Jack Johnson to travel the world. In 1966, Ali fought in London twice. He beat Henry Cooper in a rematch. He beat Brian London, uh, an all-time great London and, heavyweight. He destroyed Brian, Brian London. And the he German beat, guy. Yeah. He Milton beat, Berger. He beat Berger in Germany. And he yeah. beat George Davalo in Toronto, Canada. Canada, yeah. Wow. So, so that I mean, in, in, that's probably you know uh, a recipe for making boxing hot again is just to get somebody that is willing to do to fight that often. You know, like Mike Tyson was also kind of like that. When Mike Tyson came up, he became big because he fought every month. He was on television every month, and he was knocking people out in a minute, two minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's building. Yeah. It's the fighter. You got to build a fighter. If you don't build a fighter. No one's going to come want to see the guy. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're coming up to the period now, which is, which is a, you know, a very important um, chapter in in, uh, in Ali's uh, career and indeed life. We're talking now. We're getting in towards the uh, the end of the sixties, and uh, he's just about to be called up for the uh, for the United States Army. If one silver wants to take over now. Early nineteen sixty six, he's interviewed by Life Magazine, I believe it was. And they asked Ali his opinions on the Vietnam War. Ali says, no Viet Cong ever call me nigger. I have no quarrel with no Viet Cong. That uh, set off a worldwide 
oh, my God, controversy. Ali became even more hated. Now he was anti-U.S. He was anti-patriotic. He was the wor- It was so bad that at the- Ring Magazine always has the fighter of the year, fighter of the years. Like, Logan, we've been doing the Ring Magazine fighter of the year the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. The 1966 Fighter of the Year was Muhammad Ali. Ring Magazine purposely left it vacant. To this day, it's still vacant because they didn't agree with Ali's um, quote-unquote anti-patriotic view. So to this day, there's no Fighter of the Year for 1966. Interesting. I I just want to ask you, though, about this whole thing about calling me uh, the N-word and stuff like that. Like, wasn't there a fight that he had with somebody and he wanted them to call him the N-word? <laughs> like, he actually, like, went backstage and was like, hey, man, call me. Well, that was, call me, that, uh, was later, that was apparently later on in his career. I think this has come out in the last few weeks. I think uh, there's been a oh. documentary about... Um, the 70s. Uh, that happened later on. We'll, we'll discuss that when we talk about... Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was funny. Uh, now, okay, yeah. okay. So, so, he, so he starts... Um, with this uh, thing, but now this is before he was called up to the draft, right? Yeah, and what happened was, uh, Muhammad. Back then, in the back then, you had to take when you were in high school in the United States, you had to take a, a test to apply for the military draft, and that mm-hmm. test would 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 base you on a rating. If you were below a certain rating, you yeah, were deemed he, he failed. Yeah. Yeah. And the, he failed the test. He failed the first test. After he they, made those comments, they yeah, reduced they changed the, it. Yeah, the test. They changed it so he was he, so he now was eligible for 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 the draft. Yeah. And then they decided to to draft him. And he said, uh, you know, once they find ways to get you. Yeah, that's interesting. So basically, like if he had kept his mouth shut, he probably wouldn't have been drafted when. It, but that wasn't going to happen. Ali was always, always. I mean, he was always speaking his mind. So that was yeah. that was going to happen. I, could, I guess I mean, so. This must have been such a massive. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're not old enough to, to to kind of understand this, but this would have been such a massive, massive deal at the time. You can imagine if, uh, you know, someone like, um, well, I don't know, well, maybe not, maybe not. Um, uh, Floyd Mayweather, but you know, a, a massive star now getting getting uh, drafted to go out to um, you know Afghanistan or or whatever for the for the military and refusing to go, there'd be there'd be such an outcry now. I mean, it was even worse back then. Mark well, look what glad, happened, Mark. Yeah, I'm glad ahead. you made that point. When when um in in 1990 hmm. in 1990, uh, Jesse Helms, who was the uh, Republican senator from North Carolina. He was going up against a black oppo- uh, opponent. I forgot the man's name. Uh, th- th- his name escapes me. The, the guy's camp reached out to Michael Jordan, who was the biggest star ever to come out of North Carolina, for political support because Michael Jordan was a registered Democrat. Michael Jordan told this candidate, Republicans buy Nikes also. I'm not supporting anybody. Yeah. Now, uh, just saying though that, like, uh, I, you know, I think you remember when um, there was a professor who said that, like, nine eleven was, you know, we kind of like deserved it or something like that. He got in big trouble. I think it was Ward Churchill was his name. Like, it was on that level almost. Like, 
except this guy was a much bigger name. And uh, so but when he started... That, that you can't call those uh, hijackers terrorists. And he got thrown off ABC television for saying that. Yeah, yeah. Or he, he said you can't call them cowards because... Yeah, you can't uh, call them cowards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But but now, now so just, all the all this oh, sorry the, all, all this you know after you know Ali refused to to go in of, of course you know he was you know he was arrested and it actually you know it did it did actually go to trial and he was actually found was actually found guilty and then it went to the, I think went to the court of appeals and then it went up to the um, Supreme Court and kind of you know at this time the public were getting sick of you know the the Vietnam thing and and you know and turning against the war and all the students were were out outraged by everything and you know then then literally well this would be this would be just starting into the decade of the 70s now the supreme court you know kind of reversed the decision and you know and uh and uh ali was um you know okay to continue his career but i mean this was very messy i mean you know ali is in his prime and he's you know it's he's taken you know, three years out of his out of his prime career, and he he, he can't fight. You know, because all his his license has been suspended. He has to support himself by, you know, by speaking at colleges and you know universities for the students, where he he's actually massively popular. If if not popular with the public, he's certainly popular with um with um students, and uh, he's supporting himself that way. When Ali yeah. was stripped of the title, he was twenty five years old. Yeah. In April nineteen sixty seven, he refused induction into the U.S. Army. The next day, he was stripped of his title. He was arrested. He was convicted later that year, sentenced to three years in prison for um, refusal to serve his country. He he paid an, an outrageous amount to stay out on bail pending appeal. Ali never spent time in prison because he had great lawyers who were able to keep him out, out of prison while on bail. During this time, he tried desperately to get sanctioned in many states. Everybody rejected him. No state athletic commission would touch him, even though they would gain a lot of money just by hosting his first fight while while being in exile. Yeah. Mark Ray makes a great point. He became a he became a college speaker. He, he he spoke up against the war. He also did a Broadway play which flopped. Um, he did a computerized boxing match that was put on television. No, actually, it was put in the movies with Rocky Marciano. Marciano, Rocky yeah. Marciano died in a tragic plane crash. Yeah, and he, right. But... And by the time his exile was over in 1970, Ali was completely broke. Yeah. No, no, did he ever do... He did go to jail, though, right? No, 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 no. no. He never served oh. a day in prison. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, he was... How did he, how did he stay he out arrested, of jail? But he was arrested, but never... Arrest, but he was released on bail, and then when he was convicted, he was he, he paid a bail to stay out of prison. Sort of like when Tupac Shakur was in prison for raping that he was convicted of rape. Ten yeah. months into into Tupac's um um sentence, he was put. He, he, he um I think Suge Knight paid a million dollars to put him out on bail pending appeal. Similar yeah. to this. Okay, so so uh, he's. Uh... He he gets that, and then like somehow, uh, how many years goes by like that? He doesn't fight. Three and a half years. He doesn't get to fight till October of 1970, when he was good friends with the mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, and the mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, was able to sanction a fight in Atlanta against the number one contender in the world at that time, Jerry Quarles. Okay, 
So this can this has the potential then to put him back right on track on the title hunt. Who's champion at this point? Joe Frazier. Okay, and Joe, who had Joe Frazier beaten? Okay, now we could get into this. We could get into what happened to the heavyweight title after Ali was stripped. When Ali yeah, let's was talk stripped, about when Ali Jimmy was stripped Evans. in 1967, a heavyweight tournament was set up. They had Floyd Patterson was in the tournament, Jerry Quarry, Jimmy Ellis, Jimmy Ellis, and Joe, yeah. Joe Frazier. Um, the, the 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 finals was between Jimmy Ellis, who was also trained and managed by Angelo Dundee and Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier beat the hell out of Jimmy Ellis. Jimmy Ellis was an undersized heavyweight. Yeah. Joe Frazier became the heavyweight champion of the world. That was at the Garden, right? That was at the Garden, yeah. It was in Madison Square Garden. He yeah. was now the heavyweight champion of the world, but he wasn't the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world because Ring Magazine still had Ali as the heavyweight champion, and Ali never lost the title in the ring. Ali was really, in fact, the heavyweight champion of the world. Joe Frazier was borrowing the title until he could fight Ali. He was the interim champion, if you would use that term right now. Yeah. Okay, so uh, but so did people always say, hey, you're not champion until you beat Ali? Joe Frazier knew yeah. this. No, no, Joe yeah. Frazier knew this. Joe Frazier tried. Yeah, he knew it. He knew it. Joe Frazier tried, and it was shown in the Ali movie. James Tony played Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier went to bat for Ali because he knew that that would be a huge fight. It would be the biggest payday of his life, and he couldn't be rec- universally recognized as heavyweight champion until he beat Ali. Yeah. Now, didn't there was some bad blood already between the two, right? Um, no. That kinda... No, he not really. Next... Not this time. No. Okay. Good friend. Matter of fact, Frazier lend Ali money. Oh. Yeah. So Ali he was helped, broke. He Frazier would lend Ali money because Frazier knew he'd get it back once they fought. Word. Now they they got like uh, so you're saying that from from 1967 to 1970 by 1970 Ali's just like has no money. He's got no money. He's got no money, and the Nation of Islam had turned their back on him as well. Wow. Yeah, all, all like that, yeah. He was he was talking to white radicals. They didn't they didn't like that. They didn't like that. They wanted him to stick to his own kind. And he was the college campuses he was speaking at were both black and white. So basically, when did they stop uh, fucking with him? Like sixty nine. What year? Okay. Sixty nine. Yeah. Wow. So you know, Ali, those... Ali came. Ali had his first comeback fight in late. I think was it October November around that but, time in 1970. But, Jerry Quarry. The Jerry Quarry yeah. fight was his comeback fight. Well, did and you Jerry find that? Did you find that uh, he toned down the political talk a little bit after no, coming back? No, oh, no, no, not really at all. But it was just more popular to be against the war at that point. Oh yeah, yeah, because everyone was yeah. hating. Everyone was hating, um, you know, Nixon and Johnson and and all the uh, Vietnam shenanigans at that time. The public would had really turned against the, the war, and you know, everyone wanted the everyone wanted the troops home, pretty much like what they do now. By 1970, the popular opinion was we had no business in Vietnam, which yeah. Ali so was telling was everybody kind of, five years earlier. So this was kind of like Ali face turn. Back yeah. to, 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 be to an extent, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so basically when he comes back on the scene uh, and he's up against, uh, uh, you know, whoever he's up against, is he getting cheers now? 
Yeah. Well, the first fight was in Atlanta, Georgia. It was a mostly black crowd, so he got the cheers. And he butchered Jerry Quarry. He chopped Jerry Quarry up like he chopped Henry Cooper up. They stopped the fight in the third round. Cause yeah, Jerry it's a very Quarry... short fight. Yeah, very short fight. Yeah. yeah. And then literally, and, uh, six, literally six weeks later, he's he's fighting, you know, at the Garden. He's fighting uh, Bonavena at the at the Garden, which was a pretty tough, of, pretty tough, pretty tough fight. In front of twenty people. Yeah. That was, a, that, was good, that was a good fight for Ali because it, you know, it kind of got him. Kind of got his uh, his ring legs working because it was um, you know pretty much went 15 rounds. Ali stopped him in the last round, so it was it was a good a good outing for him because it got rid of any kind of ring rush that would have um, that would you know have accumulated during his time. Mark, when you make a great point, another yeah. reason why it was good for him, Oscar Bonavena fought Joe Frazier twice, and in both fights he almost knocked Joe Frazier out. One yeah, of the very fights, tough guy, very tough guy. Oscar Bonavena was an Argentinian bull. He had one of the great chins in heavyweight history. Joe Frazier could knock. Nobody knocked him. Ali was the first guy to knock out Oscar Bonavena. And it right. took him 15 rounds. And this, wow. this, this, this leads us up to an event that would happen three months later in March 1971 at the Garden. And this fight uh, was known at the time as the fight of the century. And this was the long-awaited first meeting of... Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. Okay, now, well, what I want to, I, 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 I was thinking, I just want to let you guys know, we're probably going to do this show up for the next fifteen minutes, and then, uh, uh, move, you know, go to the second part of his career after that. So, and the next show. So, cool, okay. yeah. we'll, we'll, I guess we'll wrap wrap up talking about this fight and. Uh, yeah, we do the, we do this fight. Yeah, yeah, do this. We, fight. We, fifteen minutes can't do this fight service. We could do a show on this fight. We could do no, a no, show actually, on this fight. you know what? We, 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 we all hold need to off. see this one more time. Yeah, let's hold off. Let's Before hold off until next week. So let's talk we about everything up until that fight. Let's yeah, okay. talk about cool. up to this fight. We won't talk about the fight because this fight, Logan, you got to see the fight. For you to, for us to talk about this fight, you got to see the fight. This was voted the fight of the 70s, and it was voted the fight of the century. This there will and, and it was also voted the number one event in the history of Madison Square Garden and you know how big Madison Square Garden's history is, right? The mecca of sports. It's it's also regarded by Sports Illustrated as the biggest sporting event of the 20th century. This fight was everything. This was an event. There's there's nothing compared to this in the history of sports. Yeah. But now, now was there there any hesitation on on, on, uh, any other parties to to take this fight or why was it why did it take? Seemed like it took a little bit long to make this fight. Well, I guess not, but uh, it could have no, been made. As soon as Ali got licensed, they 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 signed the contracts. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm, I mean, so I'm not. I'm not Ali sure. He didn't not... get to New York till 1970 till 1970 when he fought Oscar Bonavena, and that was November, right, Mark Ren? They fought December, January, February, four months later. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm pretty sure Angelo Dundee probably probably wouldn't have let probably would, wouldn't have ideally wanted Ali to fight Frazier after just two comeback fights. You know, ideally he probably would have may, maybe wanted a, a couple of fights more. Look you know, in in his tank. Was there any rough? He fought the number one contender in the world, Jerry Corey, and he fought a guy that gave Frazier hell. So that was excellent yeah. pre- uh, preparation for this fight on Angelo Dundee's part. Yeah. It, was there any rust in uh, in his game? Did he, did it look like a, a different fighter, an older fighter, or was he just didn't fight miss against, a beat? 
you couldn't tell. In the second fight against Bonavena, the 15 round, like Mark Rand said, the fifth, him going those 15 rounds got his legs back under him because he, the early, the first half of the fight was dead even because Ali was very sluggish in the first part of the fight. Second part of the fight, it was like the old Ali. Yeah. Okay. And 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 so because I mean I just feel like you know after that long I mean was he training the whole time? Ali trained the entire time. Ali was never out of shape. Um, the, the Ali in his twenties was always the first to the gym and the last to leave. And during his exile, he stayed in great shape. He was always training because he he thought he was always that one phone call away from being licensed. I see. I see. That, that's that's good because a lot of fighters, you know. I mean, many, like, for example, when Mike Tyson, he was never the same after his, you know, three years out. Actually, that might, actually, that, we're talking about Ali's training. That might, that might lead, uh, lead off to, to a, a good talk on, on Ali's training because he, he's famous for, for, for training at two, two, two very famous places, um, uh, Deer Lake and, uh, and uh, Miami Gym. Yeah, well, oh, is that he, right? He uh, put the Miami, the Miami Beach Gym on the map. Yeah. The Miami Beach Gym, which was run by Angelo Dundee and his brother Chris Dundee, who was a famous wrestling promoter. People, Chris Dundee was the Miami wrestling promoter for um, Eddie Graham. And they mm-hmm. owned a gym in Miami Beach, Florida, where Ali trained for the first five to six years of his career before he moved it to Deer Lake. Interesting. So that's uh, he, almost like his hometown for a and while. And I believe I believe it was the I believe it was the Miami gym where where um um the uh, the Beatles eventually met uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, had famous photos and footage taken with him. I believe that was the Miami gym. It was the Miami <laughs> Beach. That's the famous Life magazine picture where they they act like he knocked them all out with one shot and they lay on the floor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, all four of them lined up and he sticks out his arm and they all fall down like dominoes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Fifth Street Gym, the Fifth Street Gym in Miami, yeah, Miami Beach Gym. In yeah. Miami, yes, yes. So, yeah. so at this point, like prior to his fight with um, uh, his fight with Frazier, he's just a massive superstar. Is that I what you're saying? Superstar from the minute he won the heavyweight Massive title. pop culture, fa- yeah, massive pop yeah. culture icon. But I mean, he's a he's a face now. He's a, like a big. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a major face, so I'm just saying, like in 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 terms. Of, so is is uh, Frazier very popular champion at this time? You know what? I'm glad and we're talking about the build up to this fight. The build up to this fight, even though Ali's becoming more and more popular, the media portrays Frazier as the good guy and Ali as the bad guy in this build up to this fight. Yeah. And um, it it, it varied in the black community. Frazier like was Rock the and bad. Austin in WrestleMania 17. In the black community, Frazier was the bad guy and Ali was the hero. Ali was their returning hero. And Ali made a lot of condescending remarks towards Joe Frazier in the build-up to this fight, calling him Uncle Tom, saying that you're the white man's champion, you're holding my title. When the night, I mean, he called he him did, a gorilla, right? Or an no, ape that, that, or something? That was a Manila, not this fight. He didn't call him a gorilla okay. this fight. He called him Uncle Tom. Later on. And it, hurt, it, it, it hurts Frazier to this day. Yeah, he's still pissed about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, was he He didn't realize that it was all a bunch of, like, kayfabe stuff? I mean, come on. He still don't realize it? Let me, let me give you some background into Joe Frazier's history. Joe yeah, Frazier, I think we should talk about Joe Frazier, because Joe Frazier is, you know, Ali's most famous 
if most oh, famous and, and greatest opponent. I mean, Fraser, you know, deserves a, maybe a lot more spotlight than than he's been given. I, I think he's, um, I think he's had a, a fantastic career in life, and uh, well, probably he's not much talked about Joe Fraser. And some smoking Joe Fraser is probably one of the greatest box, boxing nicknames that there's ever been. Joe well, Fraser, you talk about the great left in boxing history. Yeah. Go ahead. What, what happened? No, uh, Let me talk I'm about Joe Frazier's background real quick. Yeah, that's what I want to say. Just go into his, go his career a little bit. All right. Joe Frazier won the heavyweight gold medal at the 1964, I believe, Mark Renner, if I'm not mistaken, Tokyo Olympics. I think it was 64 was held in Tokyo. He won uh, the gold yeah, medal. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, he won the gold medal in 64. And his goal two was years, to Two years younger than Ali as well. Two years younger. Yes. He was, um, when they fought, he was... No, he was three years younger. He was 26. Ali was 29. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Joe Joe grew up in South Carolina. His father had one arm. His father had one arm. So his father did everything with his left hand. His father was a construction worker and a farmer. So Joe Frazier would mimic his father by doing everything with his left hand, which is why his left hook was so deadly, because he used it more than his right hand. He used his left arm for basically everything because he was mimicking his father, who was one-armed. He just had the left arm. Joe Frazier was also legally blind in his left eye. So for him to have the career that he had is just amazing. Yeah, definitely. Was it was it just because he had such good power? The left hook, he had one of the great left hooks in heavyweight history. The only guys that can compare to that left hook would be, I would say, Mike Tyson and George Foreman. Joe Frazier's left hook was just – and Floyd Patterson had a great left hook as well. But Joe Frazier had a left hook from hell. Yeah, that always gave, that always gave Ali uh, probably more trouble than any kind of um, – uh, any, any other fight was, was, uh, was Frazier's uh, uh, left hook that, that gave Ali – No matter what Ali could headaches, did, he could, uh, couldn't avoid it. In the yeah, three fights fought, Frazier hit Ali with that left hook many, many, many times. Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to that in the first fight. Yeah. Okay, so 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 building up to this fight, then even though the media was portraying Ali as a heel, um, I mean, I guess he had a, a pretty big following at this point. And, and what were he most was, people predicting? He was popular with the hippies. He was popular with the black community. The only people that hated Ali at this time were the the, the right wing Republican uh, uh, um, people in America, and all over the world, Ali was, 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 was popular. Ali was loved everywhere because anybody who goes up against the system or goes, goes up against America is taken into their arms. Um, it was, was he predicted to win? You know what? The fight was, was like, it was sort of like the first Leonard Hurts fight. It was down the middle as far as experts go because a lot of people thought Ali's, Ali was still too rusty to beat Frazier at this time. And then there was a lot of blind Ali loyalists who thought there was no way Ali could lose? Yeah, I see. And uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, and I mean, we'll get we'll get we'll get to obviously we obviously we'll get to the, to that first fight in in another episode. But I'm sure one Silver would, would appreciate me mentioning um uh, the 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 guy that you know that was kind of really famous and really instrumental in, in Frazier's career was his trainer Eddie Futch. Um, I mean, this guy's trained uh, a ton of people: time, Kenny Norton, well, Larry Holmes. Yeah. But but Mark Ren, at that time, Eddie Futch wasn't his lead trainer. At that time, Eddie Futch was his assistant trainer. His lead trainer at that time was a was a legendary trainer named Yank Durham. He yeah. was the guy that 
basically taught Joe Frazier how to fight. Yeah, I've, I've, read, I've read it, I've read in some books that Eddie Futch was, you know, he, Eddie Futch, although he wasn't his lead trainer at the time, he was the he was the guy that came up with the the strategy. Well, he came to, up, he came the up strategy, with the strategy to beat to beat Ali. Ali. Yeah, but Frazier always looked to Yank Durham as you know his number one guy, and he he would follow Durham blindly. When Durham died, Eddie Futch took complete control. He would always he would always tell Frazier, you know, to the you know the moment that Ali's right hand, you know, the, the moment he dropped that Ali dropped his right hand, throw a left yeah. hook precisely where you know Ali's face would be after after throwing that right hand, and that's why Frazier would would would, would catch Ali, you know, multiple times with 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 uh with lefts in in their bouts. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. You're right. Whenever in their three fights, whenever Ali would miss with a right. You know how he, he he tries to dodge the punch? When his head is coming back, Frazier would time it perfectly so he would hit Ali as his head is coming back from, from dodging a punch. Yeah. So you had basically uh, split down the middle. It was going to be the fight of the – everyone knew that this was going to be one of the biggest fights ever. And uh, so, so I guess we can um, – wrap it up there and we'll come back and start talking about that fight um sounds I good thank you guys thank you guys for coming on the show man and uh i think we got some good covered some good ground with this uh hey, I it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure i only got to do a show with you man and, and my favorite guy of all time <laughs> you know mark wren you 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 become quite a, a a popular guy man you might get king of the board this year man you, I, uh, think, I think you're I think definitely uh that. They discontinue that? Oh, they did. Oh, okay. Well, I'll settle for just. A, I'll settle for right? the king of radio section. Yeah. <laughs> well, you already that. So. Ah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, One Silva. Thank you, Mark Wren. Thanks everybody for listening to World Championship Boxing. You check me out at FightingArtsNetwork.com, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Fighting Network. Uh, you guys want to plug anything? I just want. I just want to uh, shout out. To, to Mark Wren, thanks for doing the show with, with me and, and Logan. I want to thank you guys for this opportunity. I mean, I love talking about great fights, um, and I, I enjoy your comments on the board, Mark Wren, about yeah, you, you comparing me to Burt Sugar. I mean, that's the greatest compliment anybody, because Burt Sugar is one of my idols, and Burt Sugar knows boxing like nobody. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, Definitely, we're good. It's good, great to have you on, man. You, you're very knowledgeable, and, and you add a lot. So, and especially you too, Mark Wren. You look like you did a lot of research yourself. So, I appreciate it. Yeah, Ali's, and, a, uh, Ali's a big idol of mine. If I, I just want to, I just want to close with this, 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 uh, this quote by uh, Ali, which is probably not one of his most famous ones, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty powerful and kind of sums up his, uh, his career and life. If I can just uh, go ahead with sure. this very short quote. Right, this is Ali uh, Ali talking. He's saying, uh, I am America. I am the part you won't recognize. But get used to me. I'm black, confident, and cocky. This is my name, not yours. This is my religion, not yours. This is my goals, my own. Get used to me. Wow, man. That's like... That's uh, his day. (laughs) That's a great quote. Yeah, man, that's better than the Ric Flair, you know. Like it, don't like it, learn to live with it, because it's the yep. best thing going today. <laughs> yeah, get used to me. Yeah, man. Well, thank, thanks again, man.
we'll uh we'll leave it there and uh pick it up next week talking um Frazier Ali one. Yep. Good night, fellas. Good Peace. night. Peace. Peace. Peace.